Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 309 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. This is another emergency podcast on Tuesday, April 20th, 2021. We've had a couple of them lately, and this one comes a few hours after another transfer out of the Duke program. But this one is not just surprising for us, but disappointing for us. Donald Wine here, the host for this episode. I have Sam Klein and Jason Evans with me. Sam, first off, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm good. It's a uh, it's it, it's a weird day um, in in Duke country and in America, but but I'm doing all right. I am I'm disappointed in, on the specific topic that we're about to address, but uh, otherwise I'm all right. Yeah, uh, same here, Jason. We're we're about to get all verklempt about a guy who averaged 1.1 points and 1.4 rebounds per game, but but we're verklempt for a good reason. I'm, yeah, I'm, absolutely. I'm so uh, bummed. Is... I'm so bummed. Yeah. And for me, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And I just want to say real quickly, we were going to get on earlier when this news did happen, but frankly, we needed to pause for a bit and let the world speak. So I thank Sam and Jason for allowing me to be able to process that before we get on here and discuss this latest Duke news. But right now, let's get right into it. A few hours ago, Duke announced that freshman forward Henry Coleman III will enter the transfer portal and leave Duke University after one year. We could talk about what he did on the court. As Sam, excuse me, as Jason mentioned, he appeared in 19 games, shooting 50% from the floor, 1.1 points, and 1.4 rebounds per game. He was a spark off the bench for a couple of those games, but it was his off the court maturity that endeared him to so many Blue Devil fans, us included. We were really looking forward to seeing him grow as a player and as a person next season. And now we will have to do so with him wearing the uniform of another school. So, Sam, I start with you. I know you're disappointed, but just tell me, just give me your thoughts on what you feeling about Henry Coleman looking for another school to continue his college career. As much as we talked about him in the preseason, I feel like what we were excited about is Henry Coleman, the full package, and that we were excited for him not just to eventually contribute on the floor. And we sort of went back and forth about how much he would actually contribute this past season. As you said, it wasn't that much when you look at the numbers, but what's so disappointing to me here is that this is a player who I thought and we thought was going to be a leader for this team sooner than later and was not probably talented enough to to bolt after one or two years for the NBA. You know, maybe he gets the right opportunities and after his junior year would be able to leave. But more than likely, he was going to be staying for four years and was going to develop into a really good, strong player. I mean, you could see it in his in his body as a freshman that he was going to develop into a strong player eventually with enough time in Durham. And what's such a bummer here is that a player like him who clearly recognizes not just his value on the basketball court, but his value in the community. And as a, as a member of Duke university, couldn't stick it out for this. And, and I don't want to level too much blame on him because there's, there's probably more going on that we don't entirely know about, but I know that the roster situation is not ideal for him to get 20 minutes a game next year you know, he's going to be playing behind Mark Williams and Paula Bancaro. And we were talking the other day about how Theo John is coming in, looking at being a backup center at best. And Bates Jones is coming in to be a practice player at best. And and part of that was predicated on Henry Coleman taking up some amount of time, but really not that much on this team. And what's the shame about that to me is that he more so than than just Henry Coleman, looking at like the landscape of college basketball, a player like him doesn't feel like it's worth it to stick around at Duke University and, and to wait and see what happens. And like I said, this is not 
entirely on him. I don't think it's entirely on the coaching staff, although I'm sure that the coaching staff is going to be doing some soul searching. This coaching staff is going to be doing some soul searching after this announcement about what went wrong because it felt like this was a Duke guy through and through. And so it's a bummer that we won't get to see him complete his career in a Blue Devil uniform. Jason, Sam had just discussed two guys who were transferring into the Duke program and Bates Jones and Theo John and how that may affect playing time for Henry Coleman and all the other bigs really that are, that are going to be on this roster. Again, we're going to have a much bigger roster next season than we were even with uh, or without Henry Coleman. But on the internet, there's a lot of people who are trying to connect this dot to the dot that maybe this has something to do with Patrick Baldwin and his uh, aspiration, the aspirations for us to land that transfer or not that transfer, that recruit in a couple of weeks. Do you think that this has anything to do with Patrick Baldwin? Or do you think this is, as Sam said, kind of the writing on the wall with who we do have on the squad so far? Uh, so my answer to that is I have no idea. Um, I, as folks may know, I, I do have sources um, around the program, people that I speak to, and none of the conversations that I had with them today involve Patrick Baldwin. I know that the Duke staff is not confident about landing Patrick Baldwin. On the other hand, we know that we are not completely out of the running for him. But I don't think the Henry, Sam alluded to this, the Henry Coleman story, the reason we're here talking about this guy is not because of a playing time thing. It's not because we're concerned about how much we're gonna miss Henry Coleman on next year's Duke team. I mean, I don't think it's a hot take for me to say, probably won't miss him at all. I don't know that Henry Coleman, unless there were gonna be bad injury problems, I don't know that Henry Coleman was ever going to play a, a really significant role for next year's Duke team on the court during the games. What we all hoped was that Henry Coleman was going to develop into a player who would be significant down the road as a junior, as a senior. By the way, Henry Coleman, because of the nature of COVID, could have potentially been at Duke for four more years. Don't forget, this year doesn't count for anybody. So potentially he could have been there for four more years. And not just on the court, but I, I just can't help, when I talk about Henry Coleman, I can't help but think about the speech he gave about social justice, the moment that he stepped up in front of the team and in front of the whole community and, and read a poem about social justice that he had written. I can't help but think of the time we interviewed him and he talked about Henry David Thoreau being his favorite transcendentalist. This is a guy who was a special intellect, a special leader, and the Duke basketball program is going to miss having a guy like that in the locker room, talking to the other players, befriending them, helping them with homework or whatever else it may be. That's what I, that's why I'm bummed right now. I'm not bummed from a basketball standpoint. Like I said, one, 1 1.1 points, 1.4 rebounds. He only, there were only two games last year where he played double digit minutes. And I don't know that he was going to have a bigger role. In fact, after Theo John arrived, I think he was going to have a smaller role on next year's team. And that's why he left. I'm bummed that I'm missing Henry Coleman, the person, not Henry Coleman, the basketball player. You want to come back to the basketball point, though. Let me throw a few names at you and, and tell me if any of them resonate. Lance Thomas, Emil Jefferson, Marshall Plumley. These are big men who were not productive early in their careers at Duke and became, in, in Emil Jefferson's case, became one of the best defenders in the ACC and an integral part of the team. In Marshall Plumley's case, the key sub on a 2015 team that won a national championship that would not have done so without him. And in Lance Thomas's 
case, a starter and, and another one of the most important players on a team that won a national championship. All of these guys were bit role players, their freshman seasons at Duke. And, and Henry Coleman, you know, was not a top, top, top recruit, four-star guy. So was Marshall Plumley. Right. So like Lance Thomas, I think, was was maybe a little bit more hyped than, than these guys were, but all of them sort of produced at this very low level freshman year and blossomed into these kinds of players. Lance Thomas even turned that into a big NBA career. But if you want to talk about Marshall Plumley, a big man who was, you know, not quite up to snuff, like I, I think he got a he got a cup of coffee in the NBA, but was not really destined for the NBA. And now he's now he's making more of a career out of being in the military than he was in the NBA. All of these guys are guys that, that Henry Coleman could have become and someone and all three of them are guys that Duke fans are immensely proud of and rooted for well after their playing careers were over at, at Duke. Hey, I, I mean, look, the guy you're talking, Nolan Smith, we just spent 40 minutes on a podcast Absolutely. a couple days ago Absolutely. talking about Nolan Smith. And, and, and let's get this into a larger thing. There are 1,400 players in the transfer portal right now. I want to repeat that number. There are 1,400 players in the transfer portal. It feels like Duke's losing a lot of guys. Every team in the country is losing three, four, five, six, seven players to the transfer portal. 25%, a quarter of every player in college basketball is currently in the transfer portal. And I, I, I mentioned Nolan Smith. Today, if Nolan Smith was at Duke, he would be in the transfer portal and he would have left and he would never have the four-year career that he had that ended with him having a ring and him winning ACC player of the year. He would have gone someplace else after his freshman year. That's what we're seeing. And it's killing college basketball. I mean, that was exactly what I was going to lead to with just the state of college basketball right now. You have so many guys that want to get playing time. And honestly, if we're being frank about it, they have people in their ear and not just their close circle, but the NBA absolutely basketball fans at, at large who were saying, if you're not getting playing time after your freshman year, then you're not going to make it as a basketball player and you need to move on. These guys are trying to find that playing time so they can showcase their talent to the next level, whether that be the NBA, the G league or international, they want to be able to do that. But in the case of Henry, I think for me, what we will miss most about him is that not just, he was going to be a guy that could have become any of the players that Sam mentioned, a Marshall Plumley, Emil Jefferson, a Lance Thomas, even a Nolan Smith, we were going to miss his leadership. We were talking about him in the fall saying, hey, he may not be a captain this year, but he could be one next year. In the running, at least. That leadership was something that was missing this year. That was something that we saw in him well before he stepped foot onto a basketball court in a Duke uniform. And that was something that I was most hoping to see blossom in his time in Durham, we don't get to do that. Now, having said that, I think that leadership is still there. It's just that another team is going to benefit from it. That's what disappoints me is that we don't get to benefit from that leadership that I know that he is going to possess. And even the, if the increased leadership comes with increased ability to be on the court and play considerable minutes for a contending team, all the better for him. It's just disappointing for us because we don't get to experience that. Duke had seven new players into the program last year. Five of them are now gone. And when those seven players, Patrick Tepe, we knew was only one season, even though he now got an extra season because of COVID. But, but regardless of Patrick Tepe, when, when we brought in these six freshmen last year, everyone said the expectation was that we were going to, that we were building a core that would be at Duke for a while. Now we have only Mark Williams, 
and Jeremy Roach, who are coming back for their sophomore seasons. Everyone thought that these six guys, yeah, we were going to lose, sure, we were going to lose Jalen Johnson, maybe one other guy. And then maybe we're going to lose one, maybe two of them after a, a big sophomore campaign. But the anticipation was that we were going to have at least, you know, two or three guys from this class who are going to be at Duke for three, four years. We're going to be mainstays. We're going to be future captains of the team. That this was going to be a class like the high school class of 2002, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and to, if, if you remember, the, what I'm referring to is the class of 2002 that had J.J. Raddick and Sheldon Williams, but also had, like, had, had a full roster, basically, of guys who sort of filled out and, and became leaders. And that 2006 team, look, they didn't make the final four, but, but that team was as good as any in Duke history and, and, and had all kinds of senior leadership that I think we expected or hoped that this class was going to turn into. And another thing about this is that I know a lot of Duke fans out there are disappointed that Duke has become like the rest of the college basketball teams and that they're losing a bunch of guys either to the NBA or to the transfer portal. I, I say pump the brakes on that, because if you think about it, Jason alluded to it, Patrick Tepe was only going to be here one year. COVID gives him next year. He's choosing to take that elsewhere. Jordan Goldwire. We had a senior night for him this year which means that we were not expecting him to come back to the program. He decided to take advantage of this extra year that he was granted. He's doing that elsewhere. And then we lost two transfers, which if you think about it, just down the road to UNC, they've lost like four or five. There are some programs that have lost seven, eight, nine guys into the transfer portal. They, it, when we talk about an entirely different team, they are getting an entirely different team next year. And we have guys that obviously wanted to transfer into Duke and take advantage of this. This was a unique situation. It is now being ex extended now that they are allowing transfers to do one and out. But when this transfer portal opened, it wasn't because they anticipated what was down the road. It was because they were taking advantage of what the situation is right now and taking advantage of the opportunity that was presented to them an extra year at a university, wherever they wanted to go. These guys are searching for playing time. This is something that we have experienced over the years. It's just all happening at once. So I think Duke fans need to kind of not necessarily relax, but just kind of back up a little bit and analyze the fact that, hey, this is not a Duke problem. There is no problem when it comes to Duke University and that brand. The brotherhood is still strong, ladies and gentlemen. It is college basketball that is doing a makeover right now, and everyone in college basketball is going to have to be a part of that. If you want to keep tabs on what the culture is like at Duke, and, and how things are going. Two guys that you should pay attention to and see if they say anything over the summer about their experiences at Duke are Joey Baker and Wendell Moore, both of whom I think came in to the program with higher expectations than the way that their careers have played out so far. Joey Baker's going to be a senior this year, that this coming season, Wendell Moore will be a junior. I think if you had asked either of those guys at the end of high school, what are your plans in college? They wouldn't necessarily say, I'd be around to be one of the only upperclassmen on a Duke team highlighted by freshmen. And I know that neither of them, neither Joey Baker nor Wendell Moore are the most vocal guys on the team. They've both been more lead by example types, but keep an eye on and an ear on, on how they say, uh, how they describe their, their experiences and how they act this season, because they're going to be the guys bringing the culture forward. And then to a lesser extent, you can look at Mark Williams and Jeremy Roach and the way that they are carrying themselves this season and leading freshmen because 
you're going to hear a lot from Trevor Keels, a lot from AJ Griffin, a lot from Paulo Bancaro about how much they're leaning on those upperclassmen to bring them along. And that's going to be the key to, to how the culture is going at Duke. I, I, I want to echo something that Donald said. This is not a Duke problem. This is a college basketball problem. It, it is pervasive across the entire sport. And the new rules change that allows you one transfer, one time that you can transfer without sitting out has created this wild, wild west. We all saw it coming. I think even though we saw it coming, we didn't realize how wild the wild, wild west would be. But the one thing I want to add to that is it's going to change because all these guys that transfer, <laughs> this is their one shot. You, you, can't, you can't transfer, 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 transfer. You're only going to get this you know, one waiver. In fact, I sort of feel like if you're smart uh, and you're a team out there, Find transfers, you know, guys who are freshmen, sophomores, bring those transfers in, and then they have to stick with you <laughs> because uh, it's, it's harder for them to leave again. That's the one thing. The other thing is, I, I just wanted to say again, I'm bummed that we're going to miss out on interviews with Henry Coleman. I'm really bummed that we're going to miss out on seeing him mature. He's someone I'm going to try and follow and keep up with um, wherever he ends up going. I, I just, I love that guy more for what he was off the court than on the court. And I, I'm, I'm bummed. I'm just really bummed. Yeah. I think we all share that sentiment. I know a lot of people out there just looking at the internets uh, for Duke basketball. It was a lot of disappointment that we weren't going to see Henry Coleman, the third in a Duke uniform going forward. We will definitely miss him around these parts, but we wish him luck everywhere that we go. We wouldn't, have gotten multiple messages from listeners today telling us that we had to emergency podcast about a guy who was scoring one point a game. If it wasn't somebody who had the personality that Henry Coleman has, he's not kidding either. Multiple, like multiple yeah. emails, yeah. multiple tweets, multiple text messages. Everyone was talking about it. That it, that loves Duke university because everyone, like I said, he we didn't, we didn't feel this way about Jordan Tucker. Right. <laughs> right. So uh, there's a lot of, there's, we, we have done, emergency podcast for less uh, than, than this. This is a major story for us. And so we wanted to share it. We will pause for a quick break though. On the other side, we're going to talk quickly about something that Jason wants to talk about that has something to do with something that I passionately love. Stick around. Okay, guys, we are back. And really quickly, Jason, I want to bring you in because you want to touch on something that is in a world that I also rock in, and that's the soccer world. If you have not been in the soccer world, the European Super League, RIP, has taken everything by storm the last 48 hours. And it has hit a head literally today, which is why a lot of things have been going on in this world. When I tell you that a lot of things have been going on, not just the United States, the world has been talking about this and literally has not stopped. So Jason, I give it to you. What do you have to say about the European Super League and how it relates back to college basketball? So the, the thing people need to understand, if you haven't followed this story, I'll give you the quick 15 seconds, which is 12 of the biggest, most important, richest teams in European football, soccer, whatever you want to call it, um, said that they are pulling out of, there, there's a Europe-wide tournament that is among all the champions, all the best teams in all the leagues across Europe. Um, they felt the competition and the payouts were not what they could get if they just played with each other. So they, they said, we're going to pull out of 
um, the, uh, the Euro Cup, and we're going to um, form our own European Super League that will just be us, you know, studly teams. I don't want to talk about the soccer aspect of it. Donald, that, that's, that's your wheelhouse. When I saw this story, I immediately thought of college basketball um, because the, the premier event, the thing that drives college basketball is the NCAA tournament, which features a bunch of big time, huge brand, huge money teams, and a bunch of small teams. And if you are those big time, huge brand teams, I wonder if you see something like this going on in Europe and say to yourself, hmm, why are we giving a piece of the pie to the tiny teams? That's what drove what happened to the European Super League. And I, you know, and the European Super League has blown up now. The fan protest was so loud that they had to, they, they've had to pull back on it and they're not going to do it now. But the idea is out there. You know, I won't be shocked if somewhere down the line, as money pressures become more and more, if the top teams in college basketball, because by the way, this already happens in college football, the top, the, the top programs, the big conferences already control college football and have cut the NCAA out. I won't be surprised at some point down the line if we don't see something like this happen in college basketball where the big boys go, there's just no reason for us to be giving money, to be giving a piece of the pie to the small guys. Jason, uh, first of all, very good on the summary of, of that. But at the same time, I will say that this was all posturing between UEFA, which is the Confederation for Europe, FIFA, and the teams. Nobody was trying to do nothing. This was all a little, lot of huff and puff. And the only thing that has, has fallen today have been dominoes. But you nailed it on the head, not with your description of college basketball, but with your description of college football, because that's exactly what the college football playoff is. It is a Super League. That is what they are trying to do. The only difference between the European Super League and the college football playoff is that they have allowed a couple of the teams to be a part of it. They've allowed, you know, the, the, the next five to have one or two representatives maybe in this college football playoff and in the Bulls, in, in the New Year's Day Bulls. So we've already seen this. And for people who cross over like I do that love college sports, also love soccer, keep the same energy because I see a lot of people absolutely upset, out of their minds upset about the European Super League saying it's the worst thing to happen to soccer. I agree with you. It's a terrible thing to happen in soccer. But we're doing it over here in almost every single sport. Every single sport that we have as a closed entity team, league or, or network of teams, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, Major League Soccer, all of them, single entity, closed systems. We have that here. So in the college football playoff is one step beyond that where they just said, hey, we're going to take all this stuff over here. Going to take the money and you guys... You can fight over the rest. That's what college football is. That's what the bowl system is. All the bowl system is, is just all these teams trying to fight for scraps while the college football playoff brings in the billions. This is something that if we're going to follow what's going on over in, in Europe and be mad at that, we also have to keep that same energy and be mad about what's going on with these things and make it so that it's more open for everyone. That's all I'll say on that. Sam, what do you have on it? Andy Staples at The Athletic had a great article yesterday theorizing about what a true Super League of college football would look like. And he didn't do the, He's a football writer, so he didn't do this analysis for basketball. I'm sure that in basketball, it would be Duke being one of the, the 15 programs that separates themselves. But for college football, he he went through a thought exercise like picking which programs it would be. And that's somewhat interesting, although maybe a little bit of field of 
kind of the topics we talk about here about assessing which football teams are, are the most prominent. The interesting thing that he did is he talked to some media analysts and, and, and like media, college media um, consultants about how much money those teams or those schools would make if they were in such a conference. Like if you just eliminated the conferences and took the top teams and made a conference out of that, how much money they would make right now, the top conference, the big 10, I think they, they pull in about 40 or 50 million annually on their TV deal. This consultant said, told Andy Staples that it would be a hundred million plus that each of these schools would make. That is the incentive here. And as much as we would say, it's all about the dollars. Yeah. Right. And, and, Mm-hmm. And the question, I guess, is, do you want to see Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State playing each other every year in the regular season? Or do you want to see Alabama having to play Ole Miss and Tennessee and, and Auburn and all these other programs? And do you want to see Ohio State playing Indiana and Michigan State and, and whoever? And and think about that when when you look at this news. Because, Donald, I, th- I think your point is, is well met that the professional leagues in the U.S. work this way, but they've always worked this way, and, and it's like federally legislated that they are going to continue working this way, and I don't think that that is going to change anytime soon, but the, the college sports realignment and, and all the discussion about media rights has so much of this kind of in it, and to Jason's point, the thing that we love about college sports is the, the way that the upsets happen and, 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 and the storylines that come out of that, so man, I really hope that, that the cue that everyone takes from this news story from the last couple of days is how much people seem to hate it rather than rather than its potential as like a as a media giant. And really, the one thing that is missing from this is the watering down of the biggest rivalries in sports, right? Like Duke and UNC is great because we may face them at most four times, twice during a regular season, once during the ACC tournament. And we've never faced them in the NCAA tournament, but that's a fourth possible game. Yeah, four right? games between between two teams in a season is is like almost never happens, right? right. 2000, 2001. 2001 it did, yes. Very good. And, <laughs> but and, at the and same don't forget time, to tune right? in to return to glory, but it's very rare. <laughs> at the same time, four times, you know, two times, you know how like how exhausted we feel after playing each other twice, like doing that four times. Real Madrid and Barcelona play El Clasico. It's the biggest rivalry in soccer. Iconic rivalry. When they face each other more than twice, people are like, we can't do this. It's, it waters down the rivalry. They were going to make it so that they would have to play each other five times in the Super League, not just in the, in the domestic league in Spain. So if you're talking about that, like Michigan, Ohio State, they engineer it so they only play each other once. Duke UNC and football and all these other football rivalries, they engineer so that they only happen once. So you have 364 days of bragging rights. That would change in a system set up like the Super League. And I think in the money aspect, they miss the rivalry and the fan aspect of things because the fans want to have those bragging rights. They don't want to have them for two weeks. They want to have them for a whole year. Look, look we've gone on about this too long and, and we've all said our piece. Uh, the, last, the last thing I would say about this Sam, Sam made the point. It's, it's about money. And, and a cert, at a certain point, it is entirely possible that some of these athletic directors are going to say, we can double our money. Like we're having trouble making ends meet right now. We can double our money, which by the way, means athletic director will double your salary. Coach will double your salary. Facilities will have great facilities. We can double our money if we do this. And I think that's going to be hard for them to not do. Not, it's not coming tomorrow. It's not coming you know, next year. But at some point down the road, there's going to be a real push to say, 
There's no reason for us to be a part of a 300 plus team NCAA when, when 10 to 20 to 30 of us can make double by playing each other. Yeah. And I think we'll leave it there. It, we, we talked about it a lot. I think it was a great discussion. I'm glad you brought that up, Jason, but we'll be back really soon. First of all, before we go, you may have noticed that we didn't talk about a recruit we just got this week, Jalen Blake's. We are going to have a conversation. We'll discuss him on the next episode, but we also will have a conversation with the man who has seen him play more basketball than anyone on the face of this planet. You'll be great. You'll, it'll be a great interview. You can't miss that. Also, we are going to talk about some things about college basketball that I learned in Las Vegas. Speaking of money, you will be able to not just double your money on some of these things, maybe even triple, maybe even 60 times. You may see where I'm getting at, but we'll leave that for another episode. And then also, Jason, we have the rest of the Gone in 54 Seconds. The next episode of Return of Glory is dropping again this Friday. He left us on a cliffhanger last week, but we get to finish the story of Gone in 54 this week. But we thought that this news about Henry Coleman warranted a special episode because, frankly, we're going to miss him in a Duke uniform. So until next time, for Sam and for Jason, I am Donald. This is the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home.